0: Welcome to episode 231 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about the general welfare clause. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and see discussions going on about the Constitution, Vladimir Zelensky, the Twitter files, abortion, or the often deadly and toxic COVID vaccine, please share the truth Quest podcast with your friend. Tell them to browse the episode titles and dive into whatever topics pique their interest. Episodes are available on a host of platforms, including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, BitChute, Rumble, and Instagram, where I post a short highlight of each show at Instagram.com forward slash TruthQuest podcast. And I also recently joined Telegram. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating, hit the like button, leave a positive review, or better yet, subscribe to the podcast. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. The idea for this episode has been in my futures episode folder since the beginning, almost five years ago. But it wasn't until a recent exchange on Facebook that it bubbled up to the top of my list. Here's how it all went down. North Carolina Senator Tom Tillis boasted on his Facebook page about how he secured $100 million in federal funding to repair a bridge in some obscure North Carolina coastal town. I posed a simple question in the comments. Why does North Carolina need federal money to repair a bridge in the state? I received the following response from some random person. Because the state can't afford it. I replied, and the federal government can? It's bankrupt. Look at the national debt. Look at the money supply. Look at price inflation. All at decades high levels. Then I posed a question that regular listeners of this podcast will find familiar. Where in the Constitution does it grant the federal government the power to spend money on infrastructure? The response the General Welfare Clause. That response seems reasonable on its face, but to me, I find it irritating. Maybe it is just me, but I get irritated by people who confidently make ignorant proclamations. When it comes to the Constitution, this person's really no different than millions of others, who, when challenged on the federal government's constitutional authority to do most of the shit that it does, like create welfare programs, meddle in education, education, be involved in healthcare, set speed limits, spy on its citizens, squash free speech, spend money on infrastructure, fight undeclared wars, interfere in foreign countries' politics, regulate your workplace. When faced with those types of things, they almost always point to the general welfare clause. For that stranger on Facebook, and millions of others, who think the general welfare clause of the United States Constitution grants the federal government the ability to do whatever it wants as long as they justify it as for the greater good or for the general welfare of the country which is of course completely subjective and open to interpretation this episode is for you the phrase general welfare appears twice in the constitution first in the preamble which reads We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. That's nice, but the preamble simply provides a basic framework for the rest of the document. It does not authorize the federal government to do anything. The second time the phrase appears in the Constitution is in Article 1, Section 8, which begins with this phrase. The Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. Semicolon. But all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States. Another semicolon. Why did I point out a semicolon? I'll get back to that in just a minute. This is where my confident yet ignorant Facebook combatant ends her analysis. After all, it says general welfare. To which I must throw up the yellow caution flag like you see at NASCAR races. Everyone slow down. Everyone calm down. Reading the Constitution is a lot like reading the Bible. You can't just cherry pick a verse here and there and apply it however you want. You have to read it in context to the surrounding verbiage. When faced with the argument that the General Welfare Clause grants the federal government unlimited powers in the name of general welfare, James Madison, the man known as the father of the Constitution, wrote this in Federalist 41, quote, What color can the objection have when the specification of objects alluded to by these general terms immediately follows and is not even separated by a longer pause than a semicolon, end quote. He goes on to say, for what purpose could the enumeration of particular powers be inserted if these and all others were meant to be included in the preceding general power, end quote. Okay, so basically what he's saying is, why the hell would the general welfare clause be followed closely by a list of specific terms to be granted to the federal government if general power was the goal? What follows the infamous semicolon in the intro to Article I, Section 8 is 18 paragraphs where the founding fathers clearly articulate what limited powers the Constitution grants to the federal government, of which can be considered to constitute general welfare. Here's a breakdown of the 18 paragraphs. Six of them concern the military and the militia. Four of the paragraphs concern money or taxes. There's one paragraph concerning commerce. There's a paragraph concerning naturalization and bankruptcy. There's a paragraph concerning post office and post roads. There's a paragraph concerning copyrights and patents. There's a paragraph concerning the federal courts. There's a paragraph concerning maritime crimes. There's a paragraph concerning the governance of the District of Columbia and land ceded to the federal government by a state. Finally, one paragraph gives Congress the power to, quote, make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers, end quote. And as Porky Pig used to say at the end of the Looney Tunes cartoons, that's all, folks. That is everything the federal government is constitutionally allowed to do. There are zero paragraphs concerning marriage, gay or straight. There's zero concerning health care, zero concerning education, gun control, labor laws, abortion, old-age pensions, student loans. There's no paragraphs concerning bailouts of corporations or the regulation of carbon dioxide emissions or gas stoves. There's nothing in the Constitution about welfare programs, farm subsidies, foreign aid, and there's nothing in there about regulating marijuana. And finally, there are zero paragraphs in the Constitution concerning infrastructure spending, with the exception of post-roads And maybe you can squeeze out some power in that last clause about the nation's capital and ceded territories. But certainly there's nothing in there about a bridge in North Carolina. Question. Does that sound like a government with unlimited powers or one that is to be severely limited? If the Founding Fathers and authors of the Constitution had intended for Congress and the federal government that they created to have the power to do virtually anything they wanted, with the general welfare as their excuse, why did they bother to include a list of specific and limited powers? Here's the deal. Promoting the general welfare is a legitimate role of the federal government, but it can only be done within the scope of the specific powers delegated to it. Thomas Jefferson, when arguing against the federally chartered National Bank, explained that the power to lay taxes to provide for the general welfare did not Authorize Congress to, quote, do anything they please to provide for the general welfare, but only to lay taxes for that purpose, end quote. He goes on to explain that allowing for a blanket general welfare granting of power renders the enumerated powers, quote, completely useless and would render the whole instrument to a single phrase, that of instituting a Congress with power to do whatever, would be for the good of the United States, and as they would be the sole judge of the good and evil, it would be also a power to do whatever evil they please. End quote. Which certainly describes the modern United States federal government. It is definitely a force for evil, 100 times over. To further this argument, Madison said, quote, with respect to the two words general welfare, I have always regarded them as qualified by the detail of powers connected with them. End quote. The Anti-Federalists were instrumental in ensuring that constitutional limits on the power granted to the newly formed federal government were included in the Constitution. Check out episode 75, The Truth About the Anti-Federalists, if you're interested in a deep dive into that topic. By the way, that episode is by far the most downloaded episode of the TruthQuest podcast. Suffice it to say, the Anti-Federalists were not in favor of writing a new constitution to replace the Articles of Confederation, Their most specific complaint and fear was of an out-of-control central government. As I argued in that episode, they were prescient. In order to win over the Anti-Federalists, the Constitutional Convention had to limit the power, size, and scope of the newly formed federal government. It is a mirror image of what just happened in the Republican caucus in Congress this month, January 2023, and the race for the Speaker of the House. In the November election, Republicans took a small majority in Congress. Kevin McCarthy was presumed to be the next speaker. After all, he had been the minority leader over the last few sessions. Now, keep in mind, McCarthy is a uniparty monster. He doesn't stand for anything remotely conservative or principled other than what gains and maintains his power. As a matter of fact, both he and Senate Minority Leader Mitch Chickenneck McConnell have actively worked against conservative candidates in Republican primaries all over the country, thus the uniparty monster moniker. Given McCarthy's lack of conservative principles and the fact that the majority of members of the Republicans in Congress are rhinos and line up like dolphins at SeaWorld to vote for McCarthy, And given the fact that every single Democrat is going to vote in unison like a bunch of mind-numb robots for a dude named Jeffries, 20 members of the Freedom Caucus, Republicans, held out and refused to vote for McCarthy until he agreed to a series of concessions that limited his power as Speaker and provided more transparency on bills being considered for votes. Once they got the concessions, they threw their votes to McCarthy and now he is Speaker. That is exactly what the Anti-Federalists did throughout the Constitutional Convention. They refused to support the new Constitution unless the federal government's power was severely limited. They read the General Welfare Clause just like my ignorant Facebook antagonist and said, hell no, we are not giving this new government carte blanche power to do whatever they want. Remember the Madison quote I read earlier from Federalist 41? For what purpose could the enumeration of particular powers be inserted if these and all others were meant to be included in the preceding general power? In other words, what point would there be in specifically listing the government's powers if the General Welfare Clause had already made it clear that the federal government had boundless authority to to do whatever it thought would contribute to the people's well-being and general welfare? The truth is, had the General Welfare Clause been understood to grant an unspecified reservoir powers to the federal government, the Constitution would never have been ratified. Period. End of story. In a letter written in 1792, Madison wrote, quote, if Congress can do whatever in their discretion can be done by money and will promote the general welfare, the government is no longer a limited one possessing enumerated powers, but an indefinite one subject to particular exceptions, end quote. One last nail in the coffin of the broad interpretation of the General Welfare Clause, courtesy, again, of the father of the Constitution, James Madison. He once vetoed a bill that would have appropriated federal funds for the construction of roads, canals, and other, quote, internal improvements. Hello? Can anyone say roads and bridges? Bridges and roads? Hello, Senator Tillis and my ignorant Facebook antagonists. A bridge in North Carolina does not benefit the country as a whole. Back to Madison's veto. He expressly noted that he could not find such expenditures in the Constitution, and he specifically rejected the claim that the General Welfare Clause was all the authorization needed. Before we end this episode, I want to grant my Facebook antagonist some grace because her ignorance is well-founded, both based on how this country is run and because the Constitution is no longer taught in school. In that same year, in 1792, James Madison wrote, If Congress can apply money indefinitely to the general welfare and are the sole and supreme judges of the general welfare, they may take the care of religion into their own hands. They may establish teachers in every state, county, and parish, and pay them out of the public treasury. They may take into their own hands the education of children, establishing a like manner schools throughout the Union. They may undertake the regulation of all roads other than post roads. In short, everything from the highest object of state legislation down to the most minute object of police would be thrown under the power of Congress for every object I have mentioned would admit the application of money and might be called, if Congress pleased, provisions for the general welfare. To which I say, holy shit, that describes the modern day United States government, does it not? They are involved in everything, most of which is unconstitutional. Yes, the federal government does have a duty and responsibility to provide for the common defense and general welfare of the country, but it can only do so within the scope of the powers delegated to it by the Constitution, and whatever it does, it must benefit the United States as a whole, not for partial or sectional interest or what is known today as special interest, for example, a bridge in North Carolina. The fact that federal powers are specifically enumerated kills the broad interpretation of the General Welfare Clause. Period. End of story. People can continue to wallow in ignorance and even confidently spew it, but as we have learned all too well in the last few years, ignorance is no longer bliss. It can actually be dangerous to your health, as we learned by many who blindly did what government officials told them to in regards to the experimental toxic and often deadly COVID jab. And it can be dangerous to your finances as we blindly allow our leaders to print trillions upon trillions of dollars year after year. And it can be dangerous to our safety as the southern border remains wide open for all to come. President James Buchanan broke this topic down beautifully when he explained that the power of the federal government to spend money was, quote, "...confined to the execution of the enumerated powers delegated to Congress." End quote. Truth be told, the General Welfare Clause was often understood to be a limitation on government power in that the word general restricted federal spending only to those purposes whose benefit were national in scope rather than purely local or confined to a single interest group, like a bridge in some North Carolina coastal town. And that's the truth about the General Welfare Clause. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform.